Welcome, I'm Lana. Joining me is Tom Kaczynski, and we're going to discuss his new book, The Coming Civil War, and also the group National Rights. So stick around. Welcome back, Tom. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Lana. I appreciate it. So how has life been since you were let go as the main town manager because of your views on immigration, because you're not anti-white and you don't want the founding stock of America to be replaced? How are things? Well, we had some fun. We had a car chase with Antifa. That, that was a hmm. highlight. I think that's a good story. So I, as you'll recall, I was working on a movement called New Albion, where we were trying to organize some people up here in New England to work in defense of our culture and our people. And we had some public meetings and some Antifa members showed up actually at one of them and were recording license plates. And we had a car chase through Lewiston, Maine, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we reported it to the police because they illegally wiretapped our table. Now, we didn't say anything more offensive than we wanted to take care of our people, but it was interesting that the police took their side and refused to do anything. But it's kind of par for the course, as you know, your readers and or, excuse me, your listeners will understand. And uh, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been busy, but it's been good. I have really enjoyed having the chance to be a pro-white advocate. And I've been writing books. Uh, I've written two, actually. One was called Someone Has to Say It. The Hidden History of How America Was Lost, which talks about the last hundred years and how America was subverted with the anti-white Marxist agenda. The other book, which we'll talk about a little later, is The Coming Civil War, which I just put out about a week and a half ago. So things have been good. It's been exciting. But, uh, you know, the thing about it is they came after me. I was living a happy life up in the country. And like many people who were just trying to speak their mind, I was uh, willing to kind of live and let live for a long time, but we've reached a point where people just need to speak the truth and we've had enough. And it's time, I think, for a lot more white people to begin speaking out and saying that we have the same rights for consideration as any other group in America as well as other countries. Absolutely. 100% agree. I got to ask, what about some of the locals in the small town? How are they treating you these days? Because I'm sure everyone knows you there, right? Because what, what, how many people there? It was hundreds, right? Yeah, there's like 800. Yeah. So yeah, most of the people know me. Everyone waves. We get along fine. Everyone has a laugh about it for the most part, just because now that the media is gone, there's a couple types who run businesses who were uh, you know, influenced by the pressure. But most people up here understand I'm a nice guy. I hold doors open. I help someone, you know, push the cart to their car. I'm the same guy I ever was. And it's just hilarious how the media presents this image of me that's totally not concordant with who I am. But I enjoy living in rural Maine. I live in the same town, in the same house. And, you know, I am a member of the community. People may not agree with me, but, you know, they don't have a problem with me. And I honestly haven't had a single person come up to me in seven or eight months with a single complaint. And I think that's very good. You're a nice guy. What's the problem? You know, I know that we get demonized all the time, too. And we're actually nice people. We're kind to everyone that we meet. We'll talk to anybody. Ugh. Yeah. So it, You know, it's funny. Some of the people that are painted as like the worst people you'll ever meet. I had a chance to meet a lot of people like yourself and other leaders in the movement, you know, supposed the most evil white nationalists. <laughs> And I, I find that usually the truth is the complete opposite of what people say, because what they do is they go out there and look for the most effective advocates and they paint them in the worst light so that people won't listen to their message. And it's just really funny because, you know, you don't get a lot of money and you don't get a lot of help and your life doesn't get easier for doing this. It's an act of love to speak in favor of white identity. And I, I, I'm sure, you know, people who watch Red Ice understand that. 
But it's amazing how many people haven't understood that until now, although that's starting to change. Exactly. We do this because we love our people. It's really as simple as that. Uh, I wanted to talk about your book, The Coming Civil War, about the future of America. I think that we can all agree that uh, we're already in a civil war. It doesn't really require guns to be in a civil war. But to give a quick summary, I read through the book. It's very thorough, continuing from your first book on how leftists have basically weaseled their way into a united European society. They transformed it. They fragmented it using race, gender, religion, culture, and basically the right surrendered. And the all, all the Americans embrace this radical idealism, that unattainable, never going to happen utopia. And you really make it clear that there is no compromise with the left. They want to destroy all things traditional and European, and we have to stop it. But I think a good place to begin is, you know, a lot of leftists say, well, America was never great. So you have a whole section in the book where you talk about what was lost. So let's let's talk about that. What has been lost? Yeah, I think the place to start is with the idea of not having a common culture anymore. When you have a society that doesn't have a common morality, a sense of truth, sense of beauty, a sense of self, it's really hard to hold together because even if people have good intentions, they'll have different views of, of truth and morality and all those issues. So you end up having division at the heart of your society. And I think that's where we've ended up at today. You know, starting from the 1960s, really, you see the importation of all these third world people and third world ideals brought into the United States and into the West generally, where it creates this idea that we can have a multicultural uh, empire, I guess you'd say, but it doesn't really work because people don't want to work together. We've made tolerance into some huge virtue, but if you think of what tolerance really is, what it's saying is I care so little about what you're doing that I'll let you do anything. And so between that and their sort of toxic obsession with equality, we've ended up at a point where we functionally don't have a nation, even though we have a state and an empire. And so the book sort of starts out with the premise that we're already in a cultural civil war. And the challenge over the next decade or less is how that will evolve into something more. Because it's my personal belief you can't have an existing country that doesn't have a sense of itself. And in the book, I go into a lot of detail in, in the divisions that exist. And while race is one of the big divisions, I actually identify that there are four major divisions, uh, race being one, ideology between the right and the left being one, country people against city people because the lifestyles are so different and what they want from law is different, and traditional people who want to respect our historic values versus progressives who believe in things like trans transgenderism and uh, you know, child hormone therapy. It's just such a radically different view of the world, and you can't compromise with someone who believes you're opposite and have any sort of sincerity to your beliefs. So what we see now is the beginning of a struggle where different institutions and actors are coming together in new alliances to go ahead and realize what the future of America will be. And I think it's a struggle we see parallel throughout the West, throughout Europe and many other places. Yeah, you mentioned four things about what was lost in the book. Morality, responsibility, identity, and liberty. Did you want to explain that a little more? Absolutely. So I, I think what we start with is the idea that with morality, you have a sense of what you want to achieve, right? A civilization is successful when it has a sense of its future, that it can accomplish something moving forward out of the past. 
But what we see in America today is our past is we're told that as white people that our past is something to be ashamed of, whereas we built this country primarily and we should be very proud. And we have a responsibility in that to go ahead and continue for the obligation and the opportunity our ancestors gave us for the next generation. And we do that through embracing an identity that is positive, that is forward looking. And I think on the right generally, you know, and I think within the white community broadly, we've been willing to overlook the great things we've done and accepted this false narrative of how poorly we've behaved. And when we do all those things, then we can enjoy liberty once again, where we can have freedom of being in a high trust society because we'll have shared values once more. Now, let's talk about who are some of the main players, who were some of the main players that have been behind this uh, transformation of America. I know you mentioned corporation, banks, etc. Sure. I, I think that largely we have to look at it from the ideological perspective of Marxism. And the, the big leftist idea that is out there is an obsession with equality. Uh, a series of radical egalitarians have basically done everything they can do to try to make everyone and everything equal, which sounds really good if you don't think about it very deeply. But the reality is the only equality ever achieved in human history between groups, races, ideas is a regression to the mean and the lowest common denominator. And so in order to make their ideology work, what we've seen is the constant degradation of our societies. Um, they've done this through a lot of different means, through controlling the universities, through controlling the media, you know, absent uh, outfits like Red Ice that go ahead and speak the truth, through controlling the finance and the many struggles we've had with payment processors for a long time. And because they control the culture so effectively, it's been incredibly difficult to kind of put out a counter narrative. And unfortunately, when we look at what's been happening in government, we've had the idea for a very long time that the left goes ahead and uses the government to change what culture is. And the right just says, well, things used to be better, so we're not going to do anything. And I think the radical shift that we're seeing now is that people on the right are understanding Given the demographic collapse that's coming within 20 years, we need to do something now and go ahead and use our power and our ideas to maybe not reach an ideal solution, but to work towards solutions that are actually actionable. And I think that that's a major difference from how people were thinking before. And one of the things that Trump has sort of started, but that we see a lot more people, people like Salvini in Italy or Orban in Hungary, pushing out there. And it's a movement that's working across the entire West. Now, what do you think the the main goal is for a lot of these uh, leftist elites that are wanting to transform America? What kind of America is it that they want? Well, they want one that's easy to control. And when you bring in a bunch of people who are low agency and cannot integrate into society, there's a lot of benefits because it distracts the people like us who can go ahead and produce in society because we have to struggle with their concerns. And the funny thing about government is the less effectively government works, the more demand there is for it. So there's like this perverse feedback loop whereby if you make more mistakes, people demand more government to fix the problem. And we don't need more government, but we do need better government. And, and I think their end game, in as much as there is some, is to make the country so desperate for change that people give over absolute power to them to realize their goal of radical egalitarianism. I think that's why you see the imposition of a lot of Islamic refugees, uh, economic migrants, really, into these societies, because the conflicts that exist are the justification for totalitarian societies. And as we all know, whenever communism's been tried, it always ends up in mass human suffering and death. 
which is really tragic because we could avoid this. Now, there's a lot of pushback against this agenda, of course, but what are some scenarios that you think that this could play out either way, either direction? Well, the book talks about six scenarios in specific. The three I think are most likely are what I call submission, which is a, a sad scenario whereby, you know, we don't organize effectively enough as whites, as people on the right, as people of character to stop what's happening. And we just go along to get along, as we've done largely for the last 60 years, trying to minimize risk to ourselves, in which case the left will win. Because as we see in California and now in Arizona, Nevada, the importation of people from foreign countries, as well as the legalization of uh, illegal immigrants through amnesty and other actions during democratic regimes, is basically changing the constituency of the United States enough where the rule of law won't mean anything because people will vote it out of office. I think the left was on the path and we were sleepwalking toward that until 2016 shook a lot of people out of that uh, reverie. Now, the right, I think, has a chance to succeed because we do have control over the government right now. But the thing that I suggest in the book is the most likely way it can happen is if we start to reexamine some of our thoughts about democracy and understand that the idea that every vote is equal might not be the way to go forward, recognizing that we need to be more involved with government and that we need to change what it does and radically act to stop the immigration agenda from causing problems. Three scenarios I cover real quickly in the book are the possibility of secession, which is to say states breaking away, separation, some agreed split of the United States, or decentralization, going back to an older form of the republic where we give power back to uh, the people in their individual states. But given that both sides kind of hate each other terribly and how intermingled we are with one another, I don't see those as viable outcomes. The other outcome, which I sadly think is highly possible, is we might reach some collapse because some event could happen where because we don't have a society with high trust anymore, we won't be able to come back from it. And whether it's natural, artificial, engineered, false flag, or just the conflict expanding by uh, leftist violence like Antifa's preached. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for things to go really badly, and it's concerning. So I, I think what people need to realize is we are on the clock, and if we don't act, we probably will lose. And, and I hate to say that as a black pill, but the reality is we need to spend every day organizing ourselves to be more effective and reach more people because every day that passes, we are a smaller and smaller minority of the amount of people here. Yeah, and I think worst of all, the worst scenario that can happen is that we just get more of the same. It just slowly continues and people just slowly get brainwashed generation by generation and just let go. I mean, that would be the worst. I like when they uh, put it on hot and heavy and fast. You know, what, what about you? Yeah, I, I think it's better to be active. I mean, civilization is a test of the will, right? I mean, if we have the willpower to survive and we have enough faith in ourselves to articulate a vision of the future that succeeds, I think we can do so. In spite of the dire predictions in my book, in some ways, I'm actually quite the optimist because there have never been more people aware. There's never been more opportunity to get the message out there. And it's just a question of what we're willing to fight for. And that sounds like it could be difficult and it could be violent, and I'm not discounting those possibilities, 
But the good news is the more of us who organize, speak up, and refuse to be intimidated, the less likely it is we'll have to resort to means that are you know, ethically challenging. And the more likely it is that we can realize we have a majority and we have the vision and leadership in our countries to make the change if we just stop being demoralized by a media that's against us and a relatively small amount of people who work to make us think we are far less potent than we actually are. Exactly. And one of the things that you're working on is called National Right. Tell us about this. So you mentioned at the beginning of this the four core values um, of morality, responsibility, identity, and liberty. And those are the core values of the National Right. And the reason that I formed this was I came to realize that we need to work together on the right as effectively as the left does. And I know a lot of people think of identity as something that transcends or excuse me, transcends left and right. And while I think that's actually true, what you'll find overwhelmingly is the people who oppose us lean left. So I've taken some time in these past few months to talk to people who are conservatives, constitutionalists, uh, libertarians, identitarians, and it turns out we have a lot more in common than not. So we're making efforts to connect these different groups because all of us don't want to live in a totalitarian state. We don't want to have a socialist future where we are perpetually second-class citizens. And the national right is an idea that builds upon how we can connect people so we can be much more effective in the future. America has never seen nationalism so popular in probably three generations. So the national right works for doing that. We go ahead and we speak against leftism, and we basically work as a sort of intersectional activism to unite a lot of people on the right. And I have to tell you, it is so encouraging how many people on the right are excited about this because they realize the danger, they see their cities are being lost, their states are being lost, and they're ready to act. And we have a lot more friends than we realize who maybe don't see exactly the same as we do, but agree with us on 90%. And I will say 90% of these people are white people who just want to mm -hmm. stand up and enjoy the countries that, you know, they always did. Exactly. An alliance is good. Exactly. We don't have to agree 100% of the time, but we mm -hmm. have to agree on the big thing right here, which is demographics, immigration, uh, the destruction of our country by leftists. So, of course, you know, the more better. Yeah, you say our core belief is to feature quality over quantity as the essence of right-wing thinking is the search for what is best rather than what satisfies most. Now, tell us about this. I think one of the things that the right has gotten somewhat wrong over the last 50 years is, at least in America, it's presented itself as the party of small government versus the party of big government. And unfortunately, that has led us to think that we aren't allowed to use government to go ahead and control our society. And our founders knew that wasn't the case. Instead, what we need to do is attack the leftist central argument of equality, which is basically saying that all people are the same, and instead have an argument that what we seek is to be better. And we run from this idea that we seek the good, we seek value, we seek improvement, and we shouldn't. What we should offer is a better alternative and say, we don't promise equality, we promise opportunity. We promise you a chance to reach your fullest potential, and I think if we can do that within our civilization, then we'll begin to imagine the future that we've forgotten. For so long, the right has just fought to retain the past, but people who have not lived in a, in a happy time, that don't remember the 50s as this glorious time before you know the hordes came across the border, that doesn't mean anything to them. We need to paint a picture of a future and be willing to do whatever it takes to get there. And I think that's the evolving change that we'll see now 
that uh, the national right works towards. Not that we want government to run people's lives, but that we recognize government as a tool. And as nationalists, we need to consider how every tool works for our larger purpose, which is to preserve, protect, and defend our people. Now, what about some practical advice? What should people who are part of this alliance, what should they be doing? Should they be uh, seeking power positions, like you say? Should they be getting into the Republican Party? What are some things they can do? I think the biggest thing that they need to do is to reach out to more people. Uh, you know, it's very hard for people to take a very active public role because, as you know, we already deal with a lot of issues with the media and how they treat us. And people don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to put themselves at risk. I tell people, support people in the movement who have ideas that you enjoy and talk to people around you. You would be surprised how many people agree with you and how many people are longing for conversation on these issues. You know, the, the most amazing thing that happened to me after I lost my job were the hundreds or maybe even thousands of people who have reached out to me just saying, thank you for speaking out. We want to know we're not alone. And the message I would like to share to people is you're not alone. And if you have the courage to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your friends, to talk to your family, you might just be surprised how many people agree with you. And as you get that support network, you'll figure out what you can do to make a difference. We need good people to run for office, no doubt. But we also need people who educate our young people and don't teach the Marxist agenda. There's a hundred different ways people can be involved. And I'm not here to tell people what the right way is other than to say, be true to your beliefs and stop preaching something you know is a lie. Exactly. Good advice. And explaining the left is always terrified about people like us, you know, infiltrating positions. They write about it all the time because that's what they did, right? And that's how they took over everything. This is funny. And one of those things that they're worried about is that the GOP is being infiltrated by ethno-nationalists. So what do you think about that? Well, I mean, the GOP has been the party of white people for a long time, if we're really honest. Ninety percent of the GOP voters are white. And if you look, the Democratic Party made a decision back in the 1960s during Lyndon Johnson to go ahead and rather than deal with poverty as a class issue, to deal with it as a race issue. And, you know, Johnson infamously said that he would have uh, well, he didn't say it quite this way, but he said he'd have black people voting for the Democrats for generations. And unfortunately, we've reached that point. So I think we need to be realistic and we need to understand that if white people don't organize politically, we won't have the same opportunities. You know, programs like affirmative action will only expand and accelerate because in the eyes of the government, white people are a non-entity. And I think that's a very dangerous place for us to be. You know, for a long time, the right wanted to believe in a meritocracy. And while I think in a lot of ways that's very laudable, I think it's more effective to deal with reality and recognize that we need to go ahead and deal with white issues and recognize that's where politics is going anyway. Take the 2016 election as the perfect example. The states that flipped for Trump, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Maine came close, New Hampshire is close. Those are states that, uh, you know, are a lot of white people. And the states that are trending most leftward, that he barely won, like Arizona or Nevada and New Mexico, he lost, are non-white. So if the GOP wants to win, they're going to go and have to appeal to white people. And while I recognize their donors won't want to do that, it's incumbent upon us as citizens to make sure the Republican Party is a party of the people instead of a party of the donors, like I think it was for a very long time. Now, when talking to the majority of white people or with your alliance that you have there, what is it do you, that you think that most white people want? What kind of America is it that they want? 
they want the America that used to exist. Honestly, they would love to see some of these conflicts go away, but they want to have an America built upon responsibility, upon you know safe communities. And these values, honestly, are, are bigger than the white community. They're sort of universal values of having a high quality of life. But the problem is the people who are being brought into this nation now do not permit that because they come with such different ideas and different burdens. We put so much money into subsidizing and supporting these people that it's become impossible to realize that. And a lot of people who honestly are very uncomfortable with racism or with the idea that you know we look at race as a, as a factor can't help but realize as they look at the hard numbers, as my book talks about, that you can only have so many people who aren't like you in an area and still have it work. I mean, you can have some, and, and we do, and, and there are some really good people who are here, but they want to have an America, again, where it's safe, where it's friendly, and where they imagine there is a future where government doesn't control their lives and they can keep what they earn, and they're told they don't have to feel guilty or have to give over what they earn or give way to people who came here. I mean, realistically, whites basically were really generous in offering to serve as hosts to people who came to our culture as guests. And I think the exasperation is that they didn't appreciate the opportunity they were given. And now the demand is rising that if people want to be part of this country, then they need to adhere to our rules. And to put it bluntly, that's white culture, white civilization, and the foundations on which America and the West was built. Yeah, and now it's so extreme that people like us want America. We want white Americans to remain the majority. We want limited immigration. We want very strict immigration controls. And we want the people to co who do come here to love white people, right? Isn't that what we want? Absolutely. And, and the thing people are beginning to realize is an America that is not majority white will not be a constitutional America. It will not be a conservative America. It will not be an America where liberty is protected. And the reality is there has been exactly zero examples where white civilization or white government has given way to some minority government and it hasn't moved radically towards socialism and communism. And I think people recognize that and they're beginning to act. And if there's one frustration I hear, it's just that people wish we would have a means to act more quickly, and they have a lot of frustration of a lack of vision and political leadership to speak truth to power. I think one of the other things that we always hear a lot, uh, accusations against people like us, is you want to round up everyone who's not white and ship them out. Well, we want the illegals to go away, but they're acting like we, we want to round up everyone and send them back to Africa, or how do you respond to that? Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case for most people. I mean, of course, there's a radical fringe who makes arguments like that. But most people just want to have, you know, a safe, friendly place to live. And, you know, it's an ironic thing, but I actually think people who understand white identity are uniquely able to relate to people of other races who have respect and pride for their own heritage. And I think that's perfectly natural, and it's a human instinct that should be permitted to all people. It's just very strange to me that we're not allowed to have that and that we are castigated for expressing the exact same impulse that every other group is actually encouraged to promote. Now, one other thing you bring up in the book is the uh, problem of the deep state. So in our situation, how do we come back against that? I mean, it's such a powerful force, right? They have all the money, they have all the guns, they have the military. So what could possibly go down in the future? 
Well, I think right now we're actually seeing uh, battles within the deep state to take control. I, you know, it's hard to follow the day-to-day fights within politics, but you look at the case with the FBI and the fact that they were working actively against President Trump's candidacy, and I think a lot of people are frustrated with that. They're frustrated with Attorney General Sessions, and we're going to see more efforts uh, to try to mitigate that. But stopping the deep state will be very difficult. They have a lot of power and they have a lot of resources. However, the one thing about the system that people need to remember is it's contingent upon our participation in it. And if we keep electing people who have our message, you know, and if they don't allow us elections, if we keep supporting people to be leaders who have our message, they can't control us unless we work for them. And I think we need to be really smart about how we constrain them, how we limit them. And, you know, the argument that I make with the national right sometimes is we just cannot allow the left to get executive power ever again in the United States. And that's why the midterm election is so important. Even if the Republican Party's frustrating and disappointing in some ways, you can't let Democrats get in there because you know they're going to make things worse and they're going to do it quickly. You know, in the meantime, we need to use this time to organize, to get started and to get better leadership who will take the sort of civic nationalism that is now rising in the United States and add some some accountability to it to say that, you know, we are a culture, we have ideas, people who support those ideas are welcome, but be really honest about what people support those ideas. And I think that's the way we combat them. I mean, if we try to take them head on, we won't win. But I take a lot of faith in knowing that committed insurgents can always defeat the most powerful empires because they have the opportunity to work however and whenever to undermine all these huge projects. And as anyone who's ever dealt with something big knows, it's much harder to pull off something with all the moving pieces the deep state has than it is to just live an honest life. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of their other tactics that they're pushing right now, too, is a censorship and banning. How do you think that is going to pan out? I think it's a move born out of desperation, to be honest with you. I think after they lost the election in 2016, what happened was they were legitimately surprised. And one of the things people have to understand about the left is that holding that coalition together is extremely unnatural. I mean, think about it. How do you hold a coalition together of gays on the one hand and Muslims who want to throw them off buildings on the other? You need a common enemy yeah. and you need to give them a lot of good, uh, you know, yeah, give them a lot of uh, rewards. And that's what the, the federal government did under the Obama administration and what Hillary would have done. Now that they can't do that, they're having to radicalize them and they're losing control of their people. I, I don't think the radicalism of Antifa helps the left. If anything, the sort of crazed radicalism is actually helping our people to realize what the danger is. But they can't control them. And because of that, we're seeing them forced into a much more radical mindset out of fear that as we control the government, we can easily undo what they've done because people do not want this. I mean, people look at the deep state and the cultural control that the left has in this country. And what they fail to realize is they have to have such a large and huge edifice because it's unpopular. The minute we start just peeking a little bit of light into that darkness, just like a candle in a dark room, you begin to see everything for what it is, and it's not long before that sunshine can light up everything. Yeah, it's a desperate move, that's for sure. Censorship is always mm -hmm. something that losers turn to, right? I also think it's because they can't win the battle of ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are scared to death of arguing with us. You've had debates, I've had debates, that they won't do it yeah. because they say, oh, we can't legitimate their ideas. That's not it. 
they can't defend their ideas and yeah. they know it. Exactly. They don't even try to. Yeah, that's why they just say, oh, just don't engage. Don't engage. The professors are telling students that too because they'll realize that they're going to lose. <laughs> Wait a minute. Absolutely. My ideas I aren't think so good. they are losing. Yeah, exactly. So the national right, how can people get involved? I'm sure uh, SPLC is going to be all over that soon, Tom. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm on their hate list now. Of I course. used to get handshakes and high fives for that. So I, <laughs> that word is a badge of honor. You know, I'm thinking of having some commemorative medals made for people who make that. I'm sure you and Henrik have uh, earned your, your chops as well. Oh, so yeah. um, the national right, it, it's an idea because if you make an organization, they attack you. You go into yep. lawfare. So here's what you do. Go to nationalright.us. Check out the idea. We're on Facebook. We're on Gab. It's not hard to find us. Go ahead and talk to people. We'll connect you with people who are local. We'll connect you with uh, people wherever you are and, and spread the idea. Understand that the left needs to be stopped. We can't continue giving ground. And for people who support white identity and who want whites to have a future, we need to organize with people who can be powerful allies to win this battle. If you need some help to get started, check out either of my books. They're both uh, very accessible. They're written for people who are not in the movement to understand what's happening. The first book, Someone Has to Say It, The Hidden History of How America Was Lost, will tell you why we're in this fight. The Coming Civil War will tell you what's happening. And I'm going to keep working at it. Um, you'll see updates on nationalright.us. And I think it's going to be incredibly effective. I'm really optimistic. And, of course, you lost your job defending these ideas. So we need people to come out and support you. How can they do so? Yeah, the, the, what I recommend is if people really want to support me, um, of course, donations are welcome. You can buy the book through Amazon. You can buy it at uh, just email me at tom at nationalright.us. Um, as well as if you want to arrange something else, I certainly won't uh, speak against help. But to tell you the truth, I wouldn't mind if you if you really want to help, you know, get in touch with me. You know, if you want, I'll order a bunch of books. We'll get a, a discount rate and send the ideas to people because this is a movement of ideas. And as the ideas become more accepted and the understanding rises that white people deserve the same rights as everyone else in America and in all of our home countries, that we will be more successful and that will allow people like myself to go ahead and have jobs again. Now, I'm fortunate that I get to do this full time. And I have to tell you, I absolutely love it. Because what's better than fighting for your people? Yeah. And that's what I would tell to people. Go ahead and embrace it. You should be proud of who you are. Guilt is, is a total waste of time. And if there's something we did wrong, we can learn from the past. We've never been perfect. But, you know, we built this civilization. And if there's going to be a future for civilization, it's going to be us who built it. Absolutely. Well, Tom, keep up the good work. It's always good to have you back and get an update. And we'll do so again in the near future. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Networking, organization, and action. It is inevitable. White Americans are going to fight for their interests just like every other group. A big thanks to you, Red Ice member. You make what we do possible. We couldn't do it without you. Not yet a member? Head on over to redicemembers.com. We're fighting for a brighter future for all of you. So much more coming up. Stay tuned. Have a good night. <laughs>